brothers and sisters, it is because Jesus is our joy and our all and our rest and our righteousness that we are gathered here this morning. We gather not to earn righteousness from Jesus because he's already freely given it to us in his death and resurrection. And if you don't know that righteousness, we are glad you're here this morning. We pray that you will come to know Jesus as we have. If I haven't met you, my name is Paul. I have the privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Stafford Baptist Church. This morning, we have the joy to return to our series in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians. So if you have a Bible, you'd be helped to open it and keep it open to Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, and we'll read through chapter 3, verse 4. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles available to you in the pew rack in front of you. You can find Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 on page 984. Well, we have not been in Colossians since September. I imagine most of you don't remember where we left off or where we are picking up. So it'd be helpful for me to give you just a little bit of the context of what we've seen in Colossians up to this point. We've called this series Christ Above All because the driving theme of Colossians is the supremacy of Jesus and the call to bring all of our lives under him. The Apostle Paul is writing this short letter to a church that he has never met, but that he has prayed for and longed for and is now concerned is coming under attack. In the first half of the book, chapters 1 through chapter 2, verse 5, we have a theological section where Paul is reminding us of the supremacy of Jesus. And at the heart of his theology lies this understanding that Jesus was fully God, And that to be made full, for us to be made complete, we must know in Jesus. That in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There is nowhere else we must go. Then in chapter 2, verse 6, a change happens. Paul takes that theology and he begins to exhort the church. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. This is the main exhortation of the book of Colossians, walk in Jesus. So what does it mean to walk in Jesus? Well, Paul tells us first that it means not being taken captive to the empty philosophies and worldly deceits that are not according to Christ. This is what we saw in verses 8 through 15 back in September. That Christ has defeated those who would stand behind these worldly philosophies. He has disarmed them and triumphed over them. And therefore, through our union with Jesus, we are well defended against these worldly philosophies. And that's where we pick up in chapter 2, verse 16. Paul has reminded us that we have been filled with Jesus. We don't need these human philosophies. We've been made new in Christ. He begins to go into detail about these philosophies, what it is that the church is being tempted to turn to, And then he calls them in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, to set their minds on Christ who is above. Friends, we need not submit ourselves to worthless human traditions, but are to set our minds on Christ who is our life. Well, let me read for us chapter 
2, verses 16 through chapter 3, verse 4. And then after reading, I will lead us in a prayer for the hearing and proclaiming of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. The word of our Lord. Let's pray. Father, our heart's desire is to know you. And so we pray this morning that you would turn our eyes from looking at worthless things and that you would give us life in your ways. Father, turn our eyes from the things of this world. Help us to set our minds on Christ, who is our life, until you return to bring us home. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? That is a very vague and general question, so let me narrow that in for you a little bit. What I have in mind is, are there things that you do without knowing why you do them? Habits that you've just built into your life that you just do without thinking about why you're doing them. Well, as I thought about that, for me, it's how I shut down my car. Before I take the key out of the ignition, I have to turn the radio off, turn my heat seaters off, the fan off. I don't know why I do that. I don't know when it started, but every time before I get out of my car, without thinking about it, I do all of those things before turning the key and pulling it out. It's what I do. Unfortunately for me, I married someone who does the exact opposite. She likes to leave the radio on and the heat or AC blasting before she gets out of the car. And she would tell you early on in our marriage, it became an ongoing source, no, not a major source of conflict in our marriage. Even though I couldn't tell you why I did what I did, all I knew is Tori didn't do it, and that was a problem. (laughs) What is that habit for you? It can be so easy to do things in life without even thinking about why. 
And this is true not just of our day-to-day habits, but it can be true even for religious things. Take praying before a meal. I would guess most of you who profess to believe Jesus would practice praying before a meal, at least usually. But do you know why? Is it just something that we're supposed to do? See, not knowing the why can take a wonderful tradition like praying before a meal and begin to make them dangerous. But not just not knowing the why, especially if there's a misguided why, which is what we see happening here in Colossians. See, the Colossians were being put under pressure to practice some, some rituals, some traditions, but this pressure was dangerous because they were being pressured into it as a way of knowing, confirming that they were a Christian, as a, as a way of, of growing spiritually, that they, they could not truly be a Christian if they did not practice these things. These false teachers were pressuring the Colossians to pick up practices that were rooted in human traditions and not God's wisdom. Practices that were motivated not by their union with Jesus, but those that would cut them off from Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul will tell the Colossians in chapter 2, verses 16 through 3, verse 4, not to submit yourself to these dangerous, worthless human traditions, but because you've been united to Jesus by faith in His death and in His resurrection, cling to Jesus. That is our big idea this morning, our one-sentence summary of this passage. Do not submit to worthless human traditions, but set your mind on Christ, who is your life. Do not submit to worthless human traditions, but set your mind on Christ, who is your life. The Colossians were being told that to grow spiritually, you must do these things and not this. You have to practice these rituals, these good works. But as Paul just reminded the Colossians in chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, we are made full, we're made complete, not by what we do, but through what Jesus has already done. It is through our union, our new identity with Jesus that we grow. So anything that leads us away from that is dangerous. Why are we free from the burdens of the law? Because in Jesus we have died and risen again. So this morning we need to know our why, so to speak. We have a new identity that is tied through our faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we do not need to submit to worthless human traditions, but set our minds on Christ, who is our life. We'll consider this in two points. First, you have died. This, this reality, this part of your identity, you have died, so don't go back. Verses 16 to 23 of chapter 2. Secondly, you are alive, so look above. You are alive, so look above in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. You have died, so don't go back. And you are alive, so look above. Let's begin with the first point. You have died, so don't go back. Verse 16 begins with a therefore, so it's always good for us to to look back before. What's just happened? What is Paul connecting this to? Well, verse 15, we read this. He, that is Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That is, Paul is telling us that Jesus has accomplished the victory. 
He has won it through his death and resurrection. He has defeated Satan, the one who is behind these earthly principles and spirits. In his victory, we have been set free. And so as Paul begins to address the specifics of what these false teachers were teaching, he wants them to know that, that this, what he's going to say is all rooted in this reality that Jesus has already accomplished the victory. And so it's a dangerous thing to submit ourselves to human traditions. We'll see three dangers in our passage in these seven verses of, of going back to, to the, submitting ourselves to these religious traditions. The first danger of going back is seen there in verses 16 and 17. We put shadows over substance. When we submit ourselves to rituals and regulations as the way to grow spiritually, we put shadows over substance. Verse 16 says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These rituals, these religious rituals seem to be summed up in two categories. Food and drink and the observance of, of festivals or, or a Sabbath, these religious days. I think the mention of Sabbath helps us to see that this was some kind of derivation of Jewish teaching. It was likely a mix of, of both the pagan religions that were around the church in Colossae and as well as this Jewish tradition and heritage that the Christian faith comes out of. And so these false teachers were teaching that Christians should be avoiding certain kinds of foods and drinks and observing certain days and festivals if they were truly to be in Christ. And it seems as if they were putting themselves in the place of God, pronouncing judgment on these Colossian Christians who were not practicing these things. That's why Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you. Paul gives a very similar command in, Acts, or in Romans chapter 14. Or he'll tell the Roman Christians, let no one pass judgment on you. The Colossians and Christians of every age are to entrust themselves to God. They're not to be pressured into practicing these religious traditions as a way of earning favor with God. Why is it wrong to try to earn God's favor through kind of a practicing of religious rituals? Of going back under the law? Well, Paul says the law was merely a shadow of things to come. But the substance belongs to Christ there in verse 17. Paul is careful not to denounce the practices of, 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 of observing certain festivals or the Sabbath as completely evil. No, they had a purpose. They were useful. But they were merely shadows that were pointing us to something greater. This is what we see in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. God never intended the law to be the full and final reality. Rather, it was the shadow that points us to the general shape and form, something that was to become that is Jesus. But when we begin to say that to relate to God, you must not eat this or you can't drink that or you must do this thing or that thing. That's like trying to relate to a friend's shadow rather than to your friend. If I spoke to my shadow, I'd be speaking to no one. You can't relate to God 
through shadows. You relate to him now through the substance. And who is that substance? How do we come to God? Well, it is Jesus. The substance belongs to Christ. So Paul says, don't let them pass judgment on you because they're trying to, to lead you through shadows, but there is a substance one who, who you, through whom you can come to know God. And that is Jesus. The danger of ideologies like the Seventh-day Adventists who will tell us that the only way to relate to God is through going to church on Saturday and not eating certain foods is that they've traded the substance of Jesus for shadows. And when we trade substance for shadows, we get nothing. It doesn't just happen out there. It can happen within the church. What religious rituals do you depend on to relate to God? Don't get me wrong, there are good things that we should do. Means of grace, by through whom we come to know more of who God is. But friends, are there things that if, if you do or don't do them, or someone else does or don't do them, you, you think you, you, that's the only way to relate to God? For me, I know early on in my, in my Christian life, it was if I don't read the Bible in the mornings, I'm not a good Christian. I'm less of a Christian if I, if I don't read my Bible in the morning. That's trading shadows for substance. Jesus is the substance. And so one danger of submitting to human traditions is that we, we trade the substance for shadows. But there's another danger, Paul says in verses 18 and 19, and that danger is that we are cut off from the head. We're cut off from the head. Look down at verse 18. Paul again says, let no one disqualify you. I think this is a very similar command as to let no one pass judgment. This idea of disqualify is is the idea of not being condemned. The apostle does not want the church thinking that they can be disqualified from running the race of faith by these false teachers. These teachers are insisting on a particular kind of spirituality. They insist on things of asceticism and worship of angels. They go into detail about visions that they have seen and they puff themselves up without reason in their unspiritual mind. That is that these these false teachers delighted in, they delighted in the visible and the fantastical. They delighted in, in, in that which you could see, and they delighted in, in these big experiences as a way in which you come to know God more fully. If you're reading from the NIV, you'll note that in verse 18, rather than seeing asceticism, your translation will say a, a false humility. The idea is that these false teachers are given into certain practices that make them appear humble. Aesthetic practices like denying yourself certain foods or fasting. So being severe to your bodies, as we see in verses 21 and 22. They were focused on, on that which made them appear humble, but, but really they, they were not humble. They were boasting, puffing up themselves in their sensuous minds. They were delighting in the, the worship of angels. That is, they were, they were calling upon angels for protection or provision rather than calling on God. They were attributing to angels that which only belongs to God. And they were doing all of this as they prepared themselves to have visions. All of this was backed up by these, these visions that they would have. where They would go into the spiritual realm and see things and then come back to the Colossians and use those experiences in their teaching. 
Paul's biggest condemnation of them in verse 18 comes with this. They are puffed out without reason by his sensuous mind. That is this, this worldly, fleshly mind. They didn't care about what God cared about. They cared about what the world cared about. In the spirituality of the world, friends, it is, it is this false humility and, and a big experience that draws us to God. That's why when you, when you go to buildings where the, they, or churches where they, all they want to do is, is make you have a good experience, fog machines and music that pings you just in the right way, they're, they're falling in the same danger as what these false teachers were, were, were falling into. Focusing on those big, fantastical experiences rather than on the head. These false teachers care about appearing humble but not humbling themselves. They care about being fantastical rather than looking to Jesus. Friends, are you consumed with the fantastical? Are you looking for that sort of extreme spiritual experience that will make you feel closer to God? Paul will say, rather than looking for that next big experience, hold fast to the head. See, this was the danger of the the false teachers. Ultimately, Paul says in verse 19, and now they're not holding fast to the head. In the ESV, that's translated as a capital H. It's referring to Jesus, who is the head of his body. And it's from this head that the whole body, that is the church, is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Friends, the danger is when we are consumed with worldly thinking, we cut ourselves off from the head of the body. And what happens to a body that gets disconnected from the head? It dies. Yes. Right? It no longer grows. If a body part is disconnected from the head, that that body or that part of the body will die. Because it's from the head that brings nourishment and growth. Your brain communicating to your heart to beat and send, send blood through your, your extremities. It's the head that brings nourishment and growth. Friends, you may be struggling to grow in your Christian life because rather than holding fast to Jesus, you find yourself committed to just a false humility or a, a, a big spiritual experience. But friends, you should consume yourself with holding fast to Christ. And often the best way to do that, Paul seems to imitate, is through holding fast to the body. Right? That is to be connected to his church. How how does the whole body grow? It's nourished and knit together. So the way in which we hold fast to Jesus is as we we are knitted together as one body. Paul says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 4. Where he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. That is Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul uses similar language that we see that the aim of the Christian life is not bigger and better spiritual experience, but to grow together with others into more Christ-likeness. And this kind of growth, Paul says, only comes from God. You cannot manufacture spiritual growth. You can't make it happen by certain practices. No, we need God to give the growth. 
And so beware of any philosophy that cuts you off from Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, when we're cut off from Jesus Christ, Paul will say, sin will reign. This is the third danger of submitting again to human traditions and precepts. Paul says, sin will reign. Friends, through our faith, we have been united to Jesus. And so the way we grow is through this union. This is what I think Paul's getting at in verse 20. Paul says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why is if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? This idea, if with Christ, is this conditional statement where Paul is teaching us the reality is that if we've believed in Jesus, we've died to our old selves. We're no longer enslaved to how we used to think or live or act. Paul wants to be clear. How have we been freed? How are we able to grow? Well, it's through our union with Jesus. Apart from Christ, the Bible tells us that we are defiled, that nothing good can come out of us. We are enslaved to sin and worldly thinking. We are tied to these human traditions. But through Jesus' death, we saw in verse 15, sin has been defeated and we are set free. Which is why Paul is so concerned for the Colossians. He's concerned because he's like, you have been set free, so why are you still living as if you're enslaved to the things of the world? It's like we sung in, it was finished upon that Christ. Yes, he rose that we would be free indeed. Death is defeated. Christ has risen. In his death, he stood in our place. Our sin was placed upon him. And in his resurrection, he has freed us from all ties to these worldly precepts and teachings. And yet we have the tendency, Jesus tells us in Mark 7, to leave the commandments of God for the traditions of men. We put our hope in coming to church every week. We put our hope in having the best devotional life. We put our hope in how much we give to the church and how much we serve. And on the outside, the danger is it appears wise. That's what Paul says in verse 23. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom. Right? The person who's, who's doing these ascetic practices, who's holding to these rituals, looks wise from the outside. But it's whitewashed tombs pretty on the outside dead on the inside this is what we see at the end of verse 23 these indeed have the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value they are worthless paul says in stopping the indulgence of the flesh It appears like we're living well and wisely, but in fact, what is happening is sin is ruling and reigning in our lives. When we put our hopes in our good deeds, in our righteousness, and in these rituals, we're living like the world lives. And Paul says, not only is that theologically wrong, but practically, it's worthless. Christian... You cannot grow by just changing your behavior, doing religious things. That's trying to deal with sin as the world deals with sin. 
If you're struggling to control sin in your life, maybe you need to set your, ha- your eyes and your heart and your mind on Christ. You need to remember that you are connected to the head and through the head comes growth. Religious things cannot give spiritual growth or new life, but Jesus can. And I just want to think about what, what that means for us is when we relate to one another throughout the week, on Sunday mornings, when we're talking with other Christians here, we should not just be concerned about their behavior, what they're doing. What we should be concerned is, how are they holding to Jesus? So you're having a conversation with a brother or sister after church, or this week, and they tell you, I- I'm, I'm really struggling to, to pray. Friend, I hope that your first advice to them isn't just, well, pray more. You can do it. And if you do it, you'll, be, you'll grow. I know my tendency is to give that advice. You just got to keep doing it until it feels right. Friends, we need to point people to Jesus. You're struggling in your prayer life. Do you know how wonderful Jesus is? How, how he has all authority in heaven and earth, that he can move mountains at the flick of his finger. You're struggling with worry and anxiety. Don't you know that Jesus loves you? That if God did not spare his own son, will he not give you all things? Do you see how that's drastically different than just don't worry, don't have anxiety, just keep praying? No, when we bring Jesus and we hold fast to Him, that is what's going to give us new life. That's what's going to change our actions. We want to be a church, friends, that doesn't just tell people to do things. That doesn't just appear to be wise. Friends, we want to be a church that is truly wise. And Stafford Baptist, a church that is truly wise, is one that looks to Jesus, where all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found. It doesn't mean that we ignore right living all next week, I promise. From verse 5 to verse 17, we will spend talking about how Paul says you need to live in the right way. You need to put off sin and put on righteousness. Yes, we are to be concerned in living a changed life. But if all we're doing to, to motivate that is by giving commands and holding to particular rituals rather than to holding to Jesus, that is not life. That's ultimately death. What we need is more of Jesus. We don't need the next great spiritual program. What we need is Jesus. And that means that we need to remember that through faith in Jesus, we have died to sin and been raised to new life. Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you, for they care about the shadows, but there's a substance in Jesus. Paul says, don't let anyone disqualify you because they are cut off from the head and it is from the head that nourishment and growth comes. And Paul says, remember, you have died with Christ to sin and through him, sin is defeated. You have died, so don't go back. But not only have we died, Paul moves in chapter 3, verse 1, to we are alive. So look above. You are alive So look above. If you're reading closely, you'll probably know how similar Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 is to chapter 2 verse 20. Look down there with me. 
Chapter 3, verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ. That sounds very similar to chapter 2, verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Friends, if you have been raised with Christ, Paul says, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That's another conditional statement. If this is true of you, if you have been raised with Jesus, then do this. The focus in chapter 2, verse 20, was on the death of Jesus. But here, Paul turns to focus on the resurrection of Jesus. And says, we've not only been united to his death, but we've been united by faith into new life. We're not only delivered from the domain of darkness, but we have been brought into the kingdom of his beloved son. We're not just in neutral getting to decide which way we go, but when we've been rescued from sin, we've been brought into a new kingdom, a new Lord, a better master. And so Paul says, if that's true, what are we to do? Or we're to seek the things that are above. We're to, with our very hearts, desire to to know, to seek that which is above. Why? Because that is where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This is the the positive command. If we walk in Jesus Christ, we're we're not only to reject the false teaching of worldly philosophies, but we are to positively pursue Jesus. And the first reason that we are to positively pursue Jesus is that Christ is in heaven. We'll see three reasons in just these four verses about why we are to pursue Jesus, seek Jesus, set our minds on that which is above. And the first one is, is because that's where Christ is. See, to seek the things that are above is not about playing some sort of cosmic game of hide and seek with Jesus, where he's hiding from us and we're trying to find him. No, he's told us where he is. He is above, seated at the right hand of God. So we seek the things that are above. We desire that because that is where Jesus is. He is in heaven. Jesus, God the Son, came to earth. He lived the life that we couldn't live having perfect communion with God. He then went to the cross where he died for our sins. He was buried for three days. But then history tells us that he rose again to new life. And having been raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God. (coughs) Friends, we are to seek the things that are above by being a heavenly-minded people. We are to seek to live a heavenly life even as we live on earth. Paul will say that we can do this because we've been given a a heavenly status through our union with Jesus. So to seek the things that are above is not a way to earn righteousness, but a way we live because our righteousness has already been completed. Jesus has sat down at the right hand of God to show that the work is finished. This is what we see in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 12. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So when Paul tells us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, he's reminding us, That while the priests still stand because the work is not done, and it never will be, Jesus has sat down because the work is accomplished. What Jesus did on the cross means that we're no longer striving to be given a heavenly reward. 
That reward is ours and it is in heaven waiting for us. So friends, by seeking the things that are above, you are not to add anything into your salvation. No, you've been made full by Jesus. And now, because Jesus is in heaven, you set your mind to where he is because our life is hidden in him. This is the third, re- the second reason to look above, that our life is in Christ. Our life is in Christ. Paul in verse 2 says, Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. A hint for reading your Bibles, if you read a command that's repeated in two verses, it's probably an important command. And so Paul repeats it for us just so that we know, hey, I don't want you to miss this. What are you supposed to be doing? It's not these religious rituals. No, it's setting your minds on the things that are above. And then as he repeats it, he adds something to it. He fills it in some more. What, what does this mean, Paul? Well, it means that we're not setting our minds on the things that are on earth. We are to avoid earthly thinking, right? The, the kind of thinking that the spiritual teachers are known for. The sensuous mind of verse 18. This unspiritual mind. The false teachers were claiming spiritual thinking, but actually were consumed with worldly things. And so Paul wants us to, to not be consumed with the things of the world, but be consumed with the things that are above. And why is that? Well, look at verse 3. Paul gives us a reason for you have died, verse 20 of chapter 2, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul's point is, we are to set our minds on the things that are above because our life is hidden with Christ in God. We have a new identity. Our old self has died and the new has come through our faith in Jesus Christ. And so our life is literally hidden with His. And this radically changes who we are. This is why we are called Christians, little Christ. Because our life is tied intimately with His life. We are now citizens of heaven where Jesus is. So physically, each of us right now are at 2202 Richmond Highway. But if you are in Jesus... If you have believed in him, then spiritually, Paul would say, you are with him in heaven. Your life is hidden with his. You're no longer primarily a citizen of this world, but a citizen of the world that is to come. And so to set our minds on the things above is to think carefully and seriously about the life that is ours through Jesus. Friends, what do you think about? How much time in a day do you spend thinking about heaven? No one is able to spend every waking moment thinking about what is to come. We still live on earth, right? We still have responsibilities at our jobs and in our homes. So we may take some some intentional time in the morning or the evening to consider God's word, to pray, to be heavenly minded. But if we're honest, often then throughout the day, what we're, what we're doing is we're filling all of our spare time with distractions. In the car, we put on the news. In the grocery line, we check our email. In our beds at night, we scroll social media or read books or the newspaper. None of these things are bad in and of themselves. But are you distracting yourself from setting your mind on the things that are above? 
Friends, in a very real sense, your citizenship is now in heaven. And so you ought to be setting your minds on heaven. You can take this illustration I heard from another pastor. Imagine you're getting ready to move to Japan. You've just gotten orders from the Marines. You're shipping off to Okinawa. You'll naturally start to set your minds on the things of Japan. You might do this by eating to seek or seeking to eat sushi, watch sumo wrestling, learn Japanese. You'd think about life in Japan and set your heart on Japanese things so that so that you could be well integrated into that culture. Well, in the same way, we are to set our heart on heavenly things, on the things of Christ. Because our citizenship is in heaven. Our lives are so intimately connected to Jesus Christ. His life being our life. And He is in heaven. And so we ought to live as if we are in heaven. A great way to do this is through prayer. Consider what Jesus teaches us to pray in Matthew chapter 6. Where He says, Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, this is what it means to be setting our minds on the things that are above. To long, to pray for, and to work towards heaven on earth. To see our earthly lives be more and more shaped by the life that is to come. To seek the things that are above is to be pursuing the things of heaven even while we live here on earth. So does that mark you? If someone was to look at your life this past week, would they say that you are pursuing the things of heaven even while you live on earth? And Paul says we could do this with absolute confidence. We can pursue the things of heaven even while we live here on earth with absolute confidence because we know that one day we will dwell forever with Christ in glory. This is the third reason we set our minds on the things that are above because Christ will return. We set our minds on the things that are above because Christ is in heaven, because our life is hidden with Him, and finally, because He will return. What is hidden will be revealed. While we cannot see heaven now, one day, Paul says, we will dwell with Christ forever in glory. Our earthly citizenship will fade, but our heavenly citizenship will last for eternity. Christ will come again in glory, and He tells us that we will dwell with Him. And so now, with confidence that Christ will appear, we set our minds on the things that are above. Friends, this is a true reality. Christ is coming again. And this is both good news and bad news because it means two ends are coming. For the one who sets their minds on earthly things, the end will be destruction. But for the one who is trusting in Jesus, united to Him and is setting their minds on heaven, they will appear with Christ in glory. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read a longer section here. He says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. 
For many of whom I have often told you, and now I tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Friends, I want you to consider this morning, are you walking as an enemy of the cross of Christ? To walk as an enemy of the cross of Christ is to be consumed with earthly things. Are you entrapped in a lie that by behaving a certain way, by doing certain practices, you can come to relate and know God? You're consumed with yourself. If that's you, hear the warning of Scripture. The end is that of that is destruction. To set your mind as if earth is all there is, is to be entrapped by human tradition and to cut yourself off from Christ. But if you place your faith in Jesus... If you turn to him, forsaking all other hopes, you will be united to him, both in his death, where he took your sins upon himself, and in his resurrection, where he promises you new life. And you can have confidence that one day Christ will appear in glory, and on that day all who are his will too arrive in glory. Friends, to set your mind on the things above is to live today with the confidence that Christ will return. Don't get caught looking down around you, being consumed with the world that you miss what is to come. To be heavenly minded is to live with the confidence that one day you will be in heaven. And so as you wait for that day, you might sing words like we're about to sing. We recall upon ourselves and remind ourselves that Jesus our Christ, the King, appears And all the saints bought by his blood will rise to meet him in the air. Friends, be confident that Christ will come again. And so set your minds on the things that are above. Friends, this world will pass away. But Paul says we have been united to Jesus. And so our heart desire ought to be to have more and more of Jesus. To sing that old spiritual hymn, Give me Jesus. You may have all this world, we say, but give me Jesus. That's what it means to set your mind and to seek the things that are above. It is to seek Christ. To yearn and pray for Jesus. And as you await that day when Jesus will come, and fulfill, and we will have all of him and be with him forever. Don't submit to worthless human traditions, but set your hearts and minds on Christ, who is your life. Let's pray. Father, it is so easy for us to be earthly-minded. And so we pray this morning that you would give us more of Jesus. Father, we tell the world, you can have all this world, 
Just give me Jesus. Lord, may that be our heart's desire to set our minds on Christ. For He is our life. And may we do so with confidence until He comes again, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.